Good morning. Uh, the title of this workshop is Ordinary Parents and Extraordinary Father. And uh, from our family testimony, you probably know my name is Leon and my wife is Angela. And she's going to start with a story. When our sons were young, every summer we attend a Christian family camp, even though we're not Christian at that time. And I remember the camp uh, director, Mrs. Young, uh, she, is, she was an older Christian lady. And one day she said to me, she said, Angela, all those kids could grow up and turn rebellions, but not yours. I could not disagree. Our son was three A students at school, state champion in gymnastic, and took first place in a state piano competition. So as a young mother, when I heard this, it made me more proud and confirmed what I believe, that I really was an extraordinary mother. Who would have ever thought that both our son, one after the other, rebel, would rebel after entering college. Most of us here know or have known a practical. Perhaps we are once a practical ourselves. But no one feels the pain more than the parents of a practical. I know this because Leon and I have been through and survived the years of waiting our practical to come home. So what do we do when our practical broke our hearts and kept breaking our hearts? What helped us get through those difficult years? And what helped bring our practical to our Heavenly Father? Leon and I would like to share with some lessons God has taught us over the years when our practical was in a far country. When we first find out that our children turn rebellious, like most of the parents, we were at a total loss. So what shall we do then as a Christian parents? First and foremost, we, it requires us to have a paradigm change. A paradigm change means the change of our attitude, change our thinking, and most important of all, change our heart. And uh, among, uh, along those years, we have learned four paradigm shifts. We learned by our own mistake, by our own mistake, and we realized our God gave me a second chance, a third chance, or many, many, many chances. And, uh, and only recently I realized that my wife is just like God. She gave me a second chance, a third chance, <laughs> and many chances. So. Uh, first, yes, I am not the cause. We need to understand that our 
we are not the main cause for our children's rebellion. Many parents have, uh, even though as parents we have influence in our children's life, but we are not the main cause for our children's sinful behavior. Many of us carry or deal with a lot of guilt. So we blame ourselves, we blame our spouse, and worst of all, some of the church members judge us as if we have failed our children. But be encouraged. Even perfect uh, parents may have rebellious children. Just look at Adam and Eve. God only gave them one command, don't eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And uh, sometime later, God find out they had a, that their children had the apple break. So God asked Adam, didn't I tell you not to eat the fruit? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So why did you? Adam pointed finger right at God. The woman you gave to me, she did it. No, not me. Yes, yes, you. <laughs> I did not. So having had enough wisdom, God taught both Adam and Eve a lesson by allowing them to have their own children. And uh, that's the pattern was set and never changed. <laughs> so even, uh, so if Adam and Eve give God a hard time, how can we as the parents thinking that raising our kids is a piece of cake? Both Adam and Eve have a perfect heavenly father who raised them in a perfect environment, but Adam and Eve still sin and rebelled. Certainly, as parents, we always have room to improvement, but we cannot undo the past. So Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of yet, but one thing I do, forget what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. We all need to have that kind of attitude. Second, I am not the cue. We as parents are not able to change our children. I was always confident and proud that I was able to accomplish what I put my heart to. If I just try hard enough, I could get what I, uh, my own way. If there was a problem, I could find the answer. And this attitude and mindset applied even more when it was to do with our son. So when, um, when Christopher told us he was gay, I was going to fix my son and solve his problem. I thought I could control the situation and could prevent or change my son from being gay. So I give him an ultimatum. I said, you must either choose the family or choose homosexuality. 
but to my dismay and shock, Christopher didn't choose the family, and instead he picked out his bags and left. I was devastated. In, in addition to my broken marriage, I was crushed. So in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, we all know, read the parable of the prodigal son. The father did not pursue his son to the far country. The father did not try to change his son. He did not disown his son. He did not make him unwelcome. He didn't say, I told you so. He knew only God can change his son. So he let God do the work. So he waited patiently and persistently. Most important, his son need to face his own consequences and reach the rock bottom. If we continue to interfere or try to change our children, they will often despise and resent us. And worst of all, God may not use the consequence to turn them around. So we all have to learn from the lesson of this father of the prodigal and accept the fact that we as parents are not the cure and we cannot change our children and bring our prodigal out of a far country. So third, our children are not my own. This was very difficult for me because my children had become the most important part of my life and I did everything for them. And uh, my life revolved around uh, my children. So in reality, my children were my prize and possession. In other words, they have become my idol. So after I understood who God is and surrendered my life to Christ, I realized that everything we all have belongs to God, including our children. We are stewards of what God has given to us, and God has allowed us to bear and raise our children who ultimately belong to God. So if this means that our children are not our own, so we, we must surrender our, our, we must release our children and surrender to God's plan for our children. Many of us also know the, uh, the uh, Old Testament story of Abraham and Isaac in Ch uh, Genesis chapter 22. God told Abraham to take his beloved and only son to the Mount of Moriah where he will sacrifice Isaac. And God wanted to test Abraham. He, God knew, like most of parents, we love our children very, very much. So God, but can we do that? Are we willing to do that? Even though it's very, very difficult, but, but we must lay our son or daughter on the altar, and, but we cannot take them down when problem started. Jesus said in Matthew 10, chapter 10, 37, anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. 
after many years of running away from God and rebelling uh, from his parents and from God, Christopher was in the far country of Atlanta and was arrested for drug dealing. And Christopher found himself in jail. But back at home, Leon and I were growing in the law and pursuing the intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And while studying the book of Genesis at BSF, I knew that I need to be like Abraham, to let our son go and release him to God. Although difficult, I had to lay my Isaac down on the altar. So on the day Christopher was sentenced, Leon and I flew to Atlanta, and I testified in court, in court and told the uh, federal judge in front of Christopher, and I said, Your Honor, we are not here to plead for a shorter sentence for Christopher, but we are here to ask God to give our son the, the time in prison will be just long enough for him to turn his life to God. So we need to communicate clearly to our children that our main goal is not to point them to success in the world, or even that they will uh, turn from their sin and rebellion. But our main goal is to point them to life, to a life that is fully surrendered to God. The fourth one, love is not enabling. Many parents, we consider helping our children to avoid facing the painful consequence as the act, act of love. Unfortunately, some of these parents may find out later that the outcome could be worse. So what is enabling? Enabling is doing something with the intention to help to protect our children, but it really only perpetuates the problem. Here are some examples of enabling our young children. For instance, defending our child when the teacher tells us that our child's inex inexcusable misbehavior in class, or believing rather than the other children are at fault and our child is being wrongly accused, or making excuses or blaming the teacher for our child's poor grade or finish our child's homework, or calling in sick for our child when he or she hadn't finished the schoolwork. So now I give you some other examples of enabling our adult children. For example, continuously bailing out our child from jail and paying for their living expenses and giving them an allowance when they are disrespectful of us and disregard the clear boundaries and the house rules. Or we still allow them to use the car or computer we bought. Or we continue to pay our child's college tuition when they show no respect to God or us. So the resolve of enabling is that our children do not learn to take responsibility and face the consequence of their rebelling behaviors. 
or do not become aware of their own behavior and the need to change. So enabling actually makes the situation worse, not better. In reality, what we are doing is hurting our children, not helping, not helping them. Simply put, enabling often pushes our children further away from God. In the second Samuel chapter uh, 13, it recorded a great tragedy in the household of King David. King David's son Amon um, raped his half-sister Tamar, and Tamar's brother Absalom took advantage himself. He killed Amon. Even though Amon was wrong, but Absalom does not have the right to murder him, so he flees. So what did their father do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Like most of parents today, many parents are afraid to face our son or daughter for their sin and face to face. So even though, so even though that, but later he allowed Absalom to come return without punishment, without punishment for his grave sin. Even worse, he refused to even to see him. So King David enabling his son by not allowing him to experience the consequence of his own action. This is enabling. And we may say, our children are not murderers. They are not that bad. But we must understand that our children must learn the consequence of their sin, whether big or small. And sin is sin. If our children do not learn the consequence of their sin early in life at home, they, would, they most likely may face many bigger problems in life, uh, later in life. Christopher was busy going to clubs, doing drugs, and flying from city to city selling drugs. So not showing up uh, in the school clinic for his scheduled patient in the morning became a norm. So three months before receiving his doctorate, he got a notice uh, of ex expulsion from dental school. And my motherly instant from like a tiger mom, <laughs> I would have wanted to do whatever it took to keep him in school, especially he had already passed the uh, national board exam. And besides, becoming a doctor and following in his dad's footsteps was our plan for Christopher's future. In addition, how shameful it would be for me to face friends or relatives if they find out that our son was expelled from the dental school. So Leon and I flew down to Louisville to meet with, our, uh, meet with his dean. So Christopher was very confident 
that we were going to threaten the school with a lawsuit so that he could still graduate in three months. This was what I would have done if I had not fervently prayed and fasted to seek out God's will, and because I knew God's plan was greater than mine. So I needed to let go and let God. And especially, I did not want to hinder what God might do in Christopher's life. So in the dean's office, I told the dean, it is not important that Christopher becomes a dentist. What's more important is that Christopher becomes a Christ follower. So Leon and I had to surrender to God's plan by not enabling our son, but allowing God to use the consequence to turn his life around. If we try to fix the situation and avoid Christopher to experience the consequences of his bad choices, we will be getting to God's way. Have we ever thought about the deeper problem of our children's rebellion. The deeper problem rests on our willingness to completely surrender to Christ and fully submit to God's authority. So let me repeat this very important point. Rebellion is the result of someone who refuses to completely surrender to Christ and fully submitted to God's authority, instead giving in to the temptation of the flesh. Our experience helped us to realize that our children's behaviors, such as taking drugs, drinking, sex, homosexuality, bad grades, these behaviors are only the symptom of a deeper problem. The real problem is our children's unwillingness to surrender and to submit. But honestly, are this all our problem, or at least that's my problem, refuse to surrender and refuse to submit. So what are our, we as a parent can do. We should reflect Jesus in our daily life. As we talked in the previous four points, first one that although parents are not the main cause for our children's rebellion, and also we are not the cure, we cannot cure our children of the rebellion, but we still hope to have some godly influence to our children especially those ones in the far country, because godliness are only caught, are not taught. Besides, the goal of a godly parent is not to produce godly children. The goal of a godly parent is to be a godly parent. Perfect parenting does not guarantee perfect children. First, do we reflect Jesus through our own brokenness? We must understand that we are just as capable to sin as our children. 
in our own sin is not any better or worse than our children's sin. And our sin may seem insignificant or harmless, whether it is pride, jealousy, gossip, slander, envy, greed, complacency, or idolizing our jobs, our children, bank account, sports, television, iPhone, and pets, and so on, so on. But they are just as odious in God's, eye, in God's eyes. <coughs> Realizing our own brokenness in front of God will lead us to a place of humility. When we as parents say, I am sorry to our children, and exhibit the the ultimate humility in front of God and in pleasing God. That is a teachable heart, the desire to make things right. Then we will watch our family change. We do not suddenly become perfect parents or a perfect family, but our children will experience their parents being real to them and in a deeper relationship. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector. Both of them went up to the temple to pray. The Pharisee prayed, Lord, I thank you. I'm not like those robbers, evildoers, idolaters. I'm not even like that tax collector. But in Psalm 51.17 state that God does not despise a broken and contract heart. And Isaiah 42.3 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and smoldering wick he will not sniff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. So I'm really convinced our own experience and all and many, many of the parents who went through the painful experience that I'm convinced God listened more intently to those parents who are broken on contract. As parents of the prodigal, it helped us to realize we are as sinful as our children. God convinced me uh, of my own sin in many areas through Christopher's rebellion. Then I realized that Christopher's sin was not any worse than my own sin. If we want our children to humble themselves before God, is humility evident in our own lives? If we want our children to change, has there been change in our own life? The second, do we reflect Jesus through our daily devotion? I come up with some uh, questions to ask myself. First one, can our children see Christ in our life, daily life? Can our children tell our testimony? Second one, is our relationship with God vibrant and real? Third, 
uh, we new creation and continue to renew each day. We really shouldn't be like this. We shouldn't be the same as we were 10 years ago, 10 months ago, or 10 weeks ago. Fourth one, do we, do our children realize without doubt that we love our Lord with our with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our mind. Do our children see we pray and study the Bible and live out, uh, live out the Bible when others are not watching? Do we show excitement when we talk about God? And when, we, when was the last time our children saw we shared the gospel? And I add one from this conference. Do we have a godly man in our life? I was so blessed by Pastor King. I wish I am 100 one hundredth of what he has been doing in his life. So my question is, do we have a godly man in our life? We shouldn't be the Sunday-only Christian, and our faith should impact every day of our life. If we want our children to take their faith faithfully, seriously, we must begin with us. So study the Bible, praying and fasting could become part of a daily life when God is the master of our house. We should take heed of Joshua when he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This should not be forced or a chore, but a joy and desire. We should pray for our children, pray with our children, pray over our children. And our relationship with Christ would never be any greater than our relationship with God's Word. And our minds need to be renewed every morning. And this is where BSF has helped both Leon and us. We had daily passages from the, from the Bible to study and scripture to meditate, and most important of all, to challenge us to live out his word in our lives. And I did this as part of my daily morning devotion. And not only did it keep me focused on God's attributes and promises, but it also helped keeping my faith vibrant and alive. So during those difficult years, I began to fast every Monday in obedience to God with a hunger to seek his face and to hear his voice. By the grace of God, once I did fast 39 days, interceding for Christopher um, and many others. For me, fasting is naturally flow out of a consistent prayer life. A consistent prayer life is naturally flow out of a personal revival. A personal revival is 
naturally flow out of a daily devotion. And daily devotion is naturally flow out of loving God and being immersed in God's word. So as a result of our personal revival through the vibrant devotion to God, our son Christopher certainly noticed the change in uh, his parents. Then I realized that we parents had become a living Bible for our son and a light to shine into Christopher's dark world. Number three, do we reflect Jesus through our marriage? A marriage based on biblical principles reflect the perfect love Jesus had with his bride, the church. Our home should be a haven, a safe place to dispense God's love to our children who want to come home. Do our children think our home is the haven or do our children feel that they want to try to run away from home? I wish I had learned this long time ago when I was young. For most of us Chinese parents, we argue, we spend more time arguing, picking on our spouse, rather than show love, honor, and respect. If we do not love, honor, and respect our spouse in front of our children, how, why shall we expect our children to love, honor, and respect us? It is rare. When I grow up, I never heard my parents tell each other, I love you. But our children near to hear that. The more we express the love to each other, to our spouse, the more our children will see our home as a haven. Many young adults we talk, they say when they grow up, they have very little relationship with their father. And the father left the childbearing responsibility to their wives. But in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, God, God commanded the father to teach their children to fear the Lord, and to live according to God's ways. So it is a father's job to, to do this, not only the, job, the mother's job only. So as I prepare for this workshop, I have learned many God's wisdom. One of that is that God gave the father the responsibility to teach their children that fear the Lord and to live according to God's ways. So I constantly ask myself, do I fear the Lord when I do this? Am I living according to God's way? Do my children see what I have done? Without a father's godly influence, many of the children they are more susceptible to lead astray and fall into drugs, alcohol, sex, to fill their emotional vacuum. Or they will simply walk away from God. So we, Father, must know the need of our children. And also, 
we are very important to demonstrate our love to our spouse. I think that's the best gift any child can have. What our children will appreciate most for a long run is that we express tangible love to our spouse. We will make a life difference to our, it will make a life difference for our wives and for our children. The love that we have for each other should not be depending upon what we feel or how we have been treated. It is depending upon the covenant we had before God and the commitment we made many years ago on our wedding days. Therefore, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. It is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoice with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hope, always persevere. Love never ends. So, will this describe how we love our spouse? Most of us didn't realize that it is the love, honor, and respect we show to our spouse in front of our children not only provides security for our children, but it also serves as an example how our children should love, respect, honor us. Fourth, do we reflect Christ through our grateful heart? We must give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, that's in uh, uh, Thessalonians 5.18. Not just for the good time, but also through the difficult times. When Apostle uh, Paul was in prison, he sang praises to the Lord because he had his mind fixed on the, uh, God and not on his circumstances. When trial comes our way, look to God and focus on God's promises. On the mirror in my, bath, uh, in my bathroom, I post the lyrics of this hymn on the mirror. And turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So as I wake up every morning, I am reminded of where my focus must be today. It must be on Jesus. December 8, 1998, I was just returning from the Bible study Biasa, and my heart was filled with uh, joy after a wonderful morning of uh, Bible study and fellowship. As I walked in the house, the phone rang. It was a collect call from uh, Atlanta City Detention Center. Christopher was arrested and found himself in jail. My heart sank and my tears running down the cheek. But at that time, the hymn we sang early that morning came to mind. 
count your blessings and name them one by one. So I took off a small piece of adding machine from the uh, calculator next to the phone. And I wrote down these first blessings on the tab, on the adding machine tape. Christopher is in a safe place. And he called home for the very first time. And I was convinced that I could always see God's blessings, even in the trial. As Christopher's time in prison passed, I kept adding to this list of blessings and tape small piece adding machine and keep adding on. And this list not only reminds me that he is faithful and his mercies are new every morning, but he also helps me remember not to focus on the hopelessness. Instead, I had to come God's blessings. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, we could still have a grateful heart. We would like to end with this song, which helps us keep things in perspective. So carefully listen to the lyrics of this song. And I hope the, the lyrics not only will encourage us, but also challenge us. The storm of our life may actually have blessings in disguise. Because our extraordinary Father is always there to carry us ordinary parents through the valleys and stones of our life. Protection while we sleep We pray for healing For prosperity We pray for your mighty hand To ease our suffering And all the while You hear each spoken Yet love is way too much to give us lesser things. Cause what if your blessings come through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know you're near? What if trials of this life your mercies in disguise Amazing this be our prayers. And let's pray. Almighty God, creator of the heaven and the earth, our Abba Father, 
Thank you for your unconditional love. And this priceless love has sought us out and brought us to yourself. May we, every person here, father and mother and the children, we can see beyond ourselves but to you, our mighty, wonderful God and the extraordinary Father. Our desire and our prayer is for our next generation to see Jesus' compassion and truth for them through us. Lord, please have your way with our children. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.